Got anything quippy to start with? I don't. How are you doing? <laughs> there you go. <laughs> oh, sorry, Dave. Uh, I, you were I, I no, I um, you know, it's it's like a uh, it's like a patent or a trademark. If you don't use it and you don't enforce it, then it just goes out into public domain. And yeah, I'm gonna start using it now since you've been kind of slacking. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so I actually, um, I just posted a little video to my, my personal Patreon people about potentially bringing the show back. And I talk about why it's hard to do the show because it's, I've never been able to get a sponsor for the show and I've never been able to find a way to make money in the show. And it's not about making money, but the show takes, you know, 10 hours to put together. A lot of effort. Yeah. Yeah. And so, um, one of the one of the ways to make it easier is to have to pay somebody to come film and then edit the show and that would make yeah. things a lot easier so i would have to make money at the show to pay this person to, to come over and then um thought about using the patreon people to help uh curate and and vote and and pick the videos oh, too great, so yeah. uh matt matt dropped doing it too right matt house isn't doing it anymore yeah, I'm not sure. It's because probably it's, just, it's, it's a hard thing to keep up with. I mean, yeah, I think I don't think he's doing it anymore. Yeah. So I mean, Jay Bates does um, a little blog every week of what's what's going around, and and he posts some some good stuff. But I'm not sure about actual videos. Mm-hmm. So that's cool. I mean, now I mean, honestly, since you stopped doing the show. Compared to now, you probably have a lot more opportunity to ask, say, for instance, Rockler or anybody else, you know, just to throw a little bit in there brought to you by, you know, even yeah. if, the, you know, even if it's not like a full video build type of thing, maybe, you know, it might make it more attractive to them if they commit to like 10 of them at a certain price. You're you're right. The, f- the weird thing is I have never gotten a sponsorship deal when I've done the asking. Um, it's like everybody's come, everybody has come to me and it's a question mm-hmm. I, I uh, YouTubers get asked a lot, like, "How do you get sponsorships?" I'm like, well, "I don't know. You, you just, gotta wait. You just, yeah, you gotta wait. You gotta make noise and and have people come to you." Um, so it's it's just one of those things. And but I, you know, the funny thing is, when when you consider where we all were four years ago when we started doing this, or three years ago, however long ago it was, compared to now, I mean, I think I'm talking for me, but I think all three of us could at any given time just float an idea to anybody. You might not get an answer. Yeah. It's usually the typical thing. They just don't answer you, but you might just strike a nerve. Where in the past, we, we had no idea who to email because <laughs> we didn't have any contacts. Yeah, you're right there. But one of the, Patreon's an amazing place. Is that's how. That, that would be a great way. Yeah, um, that's how we're funded here. Yeah, and so one of the thoughts is like Patreon can watch a live taping of it and then they get the full 30 minutes and then the public gets the edited down 10 minute version. And, you know, so mm-hmm. things like that, you know, little extras. It's It's just in the thought stage now. So. Yeah, I don't want anybody to get too excited. It would be late. Maybe you can get a beer distributor sponsorship. Yeah, I'm telling you, I would, I'd, I'd be happy with that. Yeah. Well, like you know, one of those guys that do like the uh, the uh, beer a month club or something like that. Oh yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, it'd be cool. Hmm. <sighs> well, hopefully, hopefully the uh, Patreon people will have some, you know, response to that and some ideas and stuff. Yeah, I, ju- I just posted that video last night, so I'll. Check out some of the comments later today. So if you're not supporting David on Patreon, <laughs> go do that, and then you can see that video. That's what this whole conversation's about. It's all about me. Man, you're you are crafty. Yeah, well, I was in so crafty. I was in speaking the marketing of, world for ten years. Speaking of crafty, 
Speaking of crafty, uh, your TV show was on last night, right? A and TV I, show was on last night, not my TV show. A I TV did not show. see it. I'll be really honest. I don't have TV. Like I don't have cable. I don't even. Have I don't either. I didn't watch it. So I don't have. I didn't it. see it. Um, I didn't see. Even it. if I did have those channels, I'm not entirely sure that I would have watched it. But anyway, <laughs> tell, tell us about it. I was there, and and I kind of got a vague notion of what was going on, and also a lot of people texted and tweeted uh, images of the show to me, and then also the making it feed on Instagram and. YouTube has posted a lot of it. And uh, it seems like for most part, everyone said it was a feel-good show, which it was. Honestly, I mean, I was kind of definitely on, I was on the sidelines of the sidelines and I was in the show. And But watching on the monitors and just being in the sidelines and seeing what was going on, it is definitely a feel-good show. It's not the type of show where people get kicked off and humiliated and you know people have very strong opinions because it's very lighthearted and all this stuff is just random. You know, uh, any one of these maker shows, like, for instance, Forged in Fire, where someone might have a great day, and an excellent, excellent knife maker might have to have a bad one hour, and then you're judged on that one hour. So it's it's a little bit more lighthearted than that. But because it is a competition show, which seems to be the only way to make a reality show, unfortunately, somebody has to go at the end of every episode. And uh, they picked their first one yesterday. And I just happened to know who it was because I was there. But um, Dave, what did you think? You saw it, right? I did. And you're 100% correct in that it's a feel-good show. Uh, Bob, you don't need cable. It's on. Uh, we, we dug out the antenna and took the antenna into the bedroom and plugged it in and watched it. Um, yeah, but then I got to buy an antenna. I don't want to buy an antenna. I hear you. I hear you. Uh, no, it was true. make one, dude. Touche. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Get a hanger. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, it, no, I thought it was, it was great. It was entertaining. Um, Nick and Amy, they're funny people. And then the contestants, um, they were really creative. And so it was, yeah. um, watching, get it, watching somebody getting kicked off was a little emotional cause it was, cause it's a, yeah. it's a feel good show and then they have to kick somebody off. And so yeah. I think that would be the one thing I would change about it. Like, just keep those contestants there for the entire season, you know, so, yeah. so it's a little less negative energy. But they tried really hard to make it a positive thing, and everybody's hugging and um, and yeah. lots of kind words. Yeah. It was funny. I remember when they had a, uh, for a little behind-the-scenes info. I remember when they decided episode one, they're like, oh, my God, this is like a real thing. We actually have to tell this person she has to go home. And Nick and Amy were both like, I don't want to do this. <laughs> I don't want to do this. Do you want to do it? I don't want to do it. And they came up with a good idea to just sit down and have a look like a glass of whiskey with her or a little sh shot of booze <laughs> and just, you know, give her a good farewell goodbye and just hang out on the porch of this building. I know they shot it. I don't know if they showed it, but it was just like everybody gets like a, like a real heartfelt send off. And so that was a, a good consolation for everybody to go in there and do what they had to do. And even uh, even I was asked to be involved in a couple of the judging things just behind the scenes, just to kind of break the tie. And, and I said, honestly, I don't want to do it. I just, mm. It's not my thing. Yeah. yeah, I said I don't want to have to pick somebody's you know fate. So it's yeah, not easy. I wouldn't want to. I wouldn't want to do that position either. I have gotten a couple of contacts in the past to be like a judge on certain types of shows and stuff, and that's just like nope, uh, nope. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> like I, I would. I would be more interested in being the. Nick and Amy position and yeah. even that's not terribly interesting but like of the options I would rather yeah. be there to be you know like 
Well, that's what I said. I go, if anything, I wanted to be the guy that helps them through the projects. And that's, and I, I, and I said, I don't know if there's a position for that. I said, but that's what I would want to be talking early on. And that's what I ended up being. But in the scheme of things, I'm not necessarily tied into a lot of the storyline, which is fine. I mean, I, you know, it is what it is. But uh, just a, another little behind the scenes, I'm, I've been talking for the last six months to a production company about developing a TV show based around me and everything else. And it would be a little bit more like executive produced towards me. Like it would be more about like what we do and what, what I do. And, and I don't think it would be on a network, it would be on cable. We don't have a, we don't have a network yet. We don't even have a solid idea. But it was, uh, the, the people investigated the classes that I do here and they went and looked at everyone's social media who was involved in a couple of the classes and they came back to me and they're like, we have a great idea. I'm like, okay, what is it? You know the classes you do? I'm like, yeah, yeah, they're great. She's like, they're so, they seem like there's so much fun and everyone really gets together. Why don't we do a, an episode of your class where the best one wins something at the end? I was like, no way, no way. I said, no, no winners, no losers. I said, if you really want to do a documentary style about one of those weekend classes, I said, you'll get so much feel-good footage. I said, you know, at the end of these things, it's like man camp, everyone's hugging goodbye. And, you know, everybody has a, some self-actualization about something that they didn't realize they could do or whatever. I said, that's what you want to capture. It's not about somebody winning. I said, absolutely not. I wrote a long letter and my agent wrote back. He said, very good. Well, well said. And I, I hunted and pecked a long letter on my computer. I, was like, <laughs> I had it. And, uh, Anyway, she came back and the producers were like, okay, well taken. I was like, you know, I said, why don't you be daring and make a show that doesn't have a winner or a loser? Mm, why don't you just make right. a show that's a good show? Mm-hmm. Like and ignore it's all the about, drama for once. And just, I said, it's yeah. about learning. I said, it's about the learning. It's not about keeping people hanging on to watch somebody get humiliated. So hmm. I had talked to an agency a couple months ago uh, about a show idea. And my idea is... Uh, it, it's not. It's obviously not happening. So that's why I'm throwing this idea out in the open. But mine was to set up shop in LA for four or six weeks, however long it takes to film a, t- a TV show, and then have um, B-list celebrities come by. I, I don't know if that's the right term. B-list celebrity sounds <laughs> uh, sounds negative. But like if you're yeah. if you're a touring comedian, um, you know you you come by and. I teach that person how to make something for for them. So, you know, maybe this comedian wants a, a box to keep his joke books in. Or if you're a bass player in some some touring band and you need a stand, or, you know, that person comes by and I show him how to make the, the thing and or, or an actor or, or whatever. And um, it obviously didn't work out. But. Hmm. That's yeah. a cool idea, though. Yeah. It is. Uh, it is. I, I know of a girl who was trying to do that same idea a while back. Uh, she's on Instagram and she was trying to do that. She has a uh, shop in LA. CC Boyce. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, CC was trying to do that. That's exactly right. Yeah, I was kind of debating whether I should say a name or not. But yeah, CC was going to do that. And I, but it seems like she just ended up becoming a really passionate woodworker instead, which is you know great <laughs> for her. Yeah. Because you know, she set up with that whole intention, and now she's just got a great wood shop. She's got great equipment. Sweet. Um. You were on so vacation, you, Bob. I was on vacation. Uh, so were we back. all. I got to the computer last Monday. I was sitting here waiting and the light never came on. I was like, oh, we're on vacation. I forgot. Uh, is that what happened? <laughs> I, di- I did send no. you an email, to be fair. You, know, you did the night before. But the, I was all set up with somebody. I forget. Who, I think what's his name was here, Eric or somebody last week. I said, okay, I got to do my podcast for a couple hours in the morning, but you keep busy doing something. And then I'm like, oh, wait, I got the whole thing. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, I was like, on the way back at that point from vacation, so, uh, or, I don't know, whatever. I got back last week, and uh, it was weird. You know, we've talked about this before. Vacations are tough for us, me, anyway. Mm-hmm. And it was tough. I had a hard time. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> even being back, like, I've been back for almost a week now, and I still, I, like, haven't gotten back into the groove. It's weird. I have like I've I, got completely out of the editing groove. If anybody's noticed, I haven't put a movie out in about ten days or two weeks. Yeah, and I have got like seven half cut movies on my computer, and every night I try and add like a minute to them. I can't. I just haven't been able to do it. Hmm. Maybe you should pick one and add ten minutes to one of them instead of one minute to ten of them. No, you're right. That's, that's what that's I'm gonna do. Right. I, I do have one that's getting close. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but like ever since I got back, I just haven't really found. I mean, I've been doing stuff, but it feels like I haven't been doing anything. I think I've gotten into this thing where I'm trying to do multiple projects at, at the same time or trying to overlap them in a way that I always have something that I can do. Like if I'm waiting on a part, then I can work on this one. Or, I'm, you know, if I'm waiting on epoxy to dry, I can work on that one or whatever. But the problem with that for me is that it feels like nothing's ever like, sweet, that one's done. Now let's start the next one. It's like everything's always at 30% or 70%. Yeah. You know, it's just it's kind of this rolling thing. So I'm trying to figure that out, how to feel like I'm completing things. Things are being completed. Work is being done. But it just, it's a different feeling than like I did one thing start to finish. Now I'm going to move to the next thing start to finish. So. Yeah. But anyway, um, and I'm actually not putting a video out this week, I don't think. Um, we I, I worked really hard on the closet and then the bifold doors for the closet a couple weeks ago. And then I was gone on vacation and we kind of just lost the lead because those things took a while and then I was gone for a little over a week. And so I just decided to take this week off from uh, posting just so that I could try to start to build up, you know, like some, some lead again. And so that's kind of weird. Like I don't feel bad about it or anything, (laughs) but we've, and we talked about this before, but it's just like going into a week knowing that I'm not going to be putting out a project video. It's just kind of like, Oh, well, Hmm. You're okay. Okay. Is everything okay? But, I, I'm getting from my close friends. They're asking me if I'm okay. I'm like, yeah, I'm fine. I've just been busy. <laughs> Why? But I, I, I do. Can I plug something though? Go. I'm not putting out a new project video, but I am starting a new podcast this week. Oh, no kidding. Yeah. Um, and a lot of people have been asking on social media because I've been like teasing it here and there. Like, wait, are you leaving making it? Of course I'm not leaving making it. <laughs> no, it has nothing to do with this show. So um, Josh and I, Josh that works with me, we have been talking for a long time about starting another show. And it's called No Instructions. And it's probably going to be out. Well, it's out publicly now, so you could go find it. But by the time this episode comes out, it should be like blasted out on social media. But the whole premise is, so like on this show, we talk about making stuff, right? We talk about YouTube and we talk about all that. You guys are not nerds and I won't hold that against you, but you're not nerds (laughs) and I am. So (laughs) basically this show is uh, a a chance for he and I to talk about like some parenting stuff, uh, some just like nerdy culture type stuff. But the big thing is it's a dedicated time for us to not work. Because we work really hard and we always have stuff going on. And I never make time to like, I've got these models, model kits that I've always wanted to do. I've had them for a couple of years and they just like sit there because they can't take priority over work stuff. So 
the whole idea is it's a it's like an hour a week for us to sit down on the clock and not work and just play and have conversation about life cool and kids and toys and comic books and whatever nice. so we've actually recorded um five episodes now so we're going to be what? putting out like the first four at the same time it's going to have video so you can watch video and see what we're working on or you can just listen to the audio because it's not really dependent on that that's just kind of like what we're going to be doing but anyway so it's called no instructions because we don't you know it can be whatever it decides to be from week to week and cool. that should be out it's on itunes stitcher google play all that stuff it'll be on the website there's that. Awesome. Congrats. Yeah. Thanks. I'm looking forward to it. It's fun. It's like uh it's a different it's it's a little bit hard to like dedicate that hour or whatever to go not be <laughs> productive. <laughs> or like, you know, you like, are being gonna, productive. We are, but it's a different thing and it feels weird to like, I'm gonna go just play with Legos for an hour during during <laughs> the day. But that's what it is. It's us building Lego sets so far, you know, and um, talking about stuff, so <laughs> something to get used to, for Very sure. Cool. Yeah, what have you guys been doing, David? Uh, I just put out the tabletop video. I finally made a dining room table, and then I loved, I loved that top. Oh, thank you, I appreciate that. It was awesome. Yeah, very beautifully done. And then, um, as soon as we're done here, I'm going to uh, work on the edit for the table base, and then. Um, and then yesterday, Dan and I started filming. We need an Apple box in the in the shop, so he can oh. stand up on something to get higher up. And I looked at Apple boxes, and there's some other videos on people making Apple boxes. And so I decided to do a different take on on mine. Um, so the the outside is doesn't have two ends, and there's a middle box that is also uh, slides out and it's just for storage. But that middle box also has the handles for the entire thing. Um, yeah. And it's a little, it looks to be a little bit bigger than the standard film Apple box. And so, and we're going to make it look pretty with walnut and, and hickory and box joints. Oh, nice. Yeah. So I got three Apple boxes. I actually have four because of the first one I sent to CNC came out small. And so I have a small one and I have three big ones that I made on the CNC machine. They're indispensable. I constantly use them. Yeah. Especially working hmm. on the canoe. I, I actually, I just, uh, by the way, I got a little bit of a reprieve on the canoe. So I put it aside. My deadline moved. Uh, oh, but wow. Ha yeah. So that's why people have been asking me, is the canoe done? Why aren't you talking about it? <clears throat> that's why. So my deadline is moved up. I don't know exactly when, but then the doors took precedent. But by the way, having an Apple box is amazing. Mine are completely beat up. They look like they fell off a building. I'm always flip-flopping them around, sawing on the corner of them. But that's, that's the what's point, though, right? That. Yeah. That's awesome. But I, I set up a CNC file on a, a box making app, which is super simple to find if you just Google box making app for CNC. And you get either a finger jointed or it, you just say what size you want. And it shows you four or five choices of how to make the joints where everything comes together. And it'll design the vector for if it's a finger jointed is, box or if it's a just a butt jointed box is that maker case is that the one yeah you that's used? one of them yeah yeah there's a couple there, yeah, a couple, yeah. Hmm. cool and so when i when i did my little cnc blurb about my apple box everyone's like oh send me the file send me the file i was like it took 13 <laughs> seconds to make all this <laughs> make your own well that's cool well you got anything else going on david uh, 
No, nothing that I really want to talk about yet. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Ooh. Ooh. After show stuff, maybe. Yeah, we can, we maybe. can, we can, we can vent during the Apple or the after show. Oh, the Apple show. Oh, venting. <laughs> the Apple show. <laughs> venting has a, a whole different tone to it. Cool. Well, Jimmy, what have you been up to? You have a lot going on because I've been. Oh watching my your god. Instagram. My Instagram stories become my YouTube. Uh, Eric was here. Eric from Hansel Rescue. I don't think we've talked about him since we've we've been together. Eric came and we restored a bandsaw together. We had a really great time. Eric is such a fun guy to hang out with. So, Eric, if you're listening, thank you for a lot of laughs. We had a, a ton of laughs. And we I learned a lot. There's a couple things he showed me about how to restore things. And, and also, I learned that he is very determined because he took apart some of the most complicated parts of the saw. I'm like, what are you doing? That works fine. He's like, no, no, we need to clean it. And I'm like, we don't have to take it apart that far. I mean, we got a video to finish. So like, no, I like your ear. <laughs> He's got a very deep voice. He does. <laughs> he sounds like a Muppet. He's got, I got a deep voice like that. Anyway, <laughs> he broke everything down to like washers and screws and Allen keys. And I was like, what are you doing? I was like, are you going to know what to do? He's like, yeah, I just videotaped me taking it apart. And sure enough, a couple of days later, he's watching the camera of how he took it apart. He's putting it back together. We're watching the video. So I, I learned a lot watching him. And, you know, his determination is, is, is great. And, it's infectious. So we got the bandsaw together, and the thing is a monster. It is a giant 12 and a half inch resaw cut. It came with a, it's a saw I picked up on when we left uh, Workbench Con. I was driving back up through Atlanta, Georgia, borderline Tennessee, somewhere. I was in the backwoods. I was going to pick up something that Taylor bought on eBay and the guy had that and he's like, Oh, take it. So I brought it was a total rust basket case. How do you how do you find stuff like that's ridiculous? You went to pick up something else and you just happened to find an old double bank <laughs> that some dude just gave you. How does that uh, happen? <laughs> he was a nice guy. You know what it is? It's like the New York connection. I guess it's like anybody's hometown. I drove for hours. I lost my map. I didn't know where I was. I thought I was going to get kidnapped and tied to a tree. Is this when you hit the mailboxes? Is this <laughs> yes, the same thing? exactly. Oh, it's okay. exactly. Gotcha. And so I finally found the guy. I saw him waving and he had like on muck boots and like overalls and no shirt on. That's a joke. But I'm like, oh, hey, what's up? And I pull in and right away I'm like, where's your accent from? He goes, oh, I'm from Philadelphia. I used to live in New York. And he's like an old hippie. Now he lives in the woods. He built his own house and everything. And so we immediately were like old friends, like the second I said hello to him. And I found the piece of equipment that Taylor bought, which was a, a skiving machine, which cuts the edge of leather so that you could flap it onto itself. And he's an old uh, leather worker. Uh, he used to make like uh, bags and belts and stuff. And he said, the thing was sitting right there out in the rain. I'm like, I guess you don't use that saw too much. You want to sell it. He goes, you know what? Because you can have it. I was like, really? Because yeah, because I'm never going to use it again. Just take it. So wow. that was, that was That's basically cool. it. I guess it was just kind of because we kind of chummed up immediately and talking about New York and he used to live in the Lower East Side and he went to shows at the Fillmore East, which is two blocks from where I, I live in the city. So hmm. that was it. And and uh, I grabbed it for a restoration project. And then when I met Eric, at, uh, I think uh, I met him that week at Workbench Con. And then we were talking about a restoration project and I sent him a picture of that. He goes, let's do it. I was like, let's do it. And we thought we'd have a little bit too much work on our hands, but we got it. We got it done. And then, uh, so fast forward, I uh, worked on the canoe. I worked on this desk that I'm working on. Uh, I'm working on a couple of collaborations with the guys from TableLegs.com. And I'm going to go to their place in Vermont and watch them make a set of legs for me. 
And oh, cool. so I've been dealing with those guys a little bit. I have a table built for them. My client in the Bahamas, I've been working on all of his tables. I'm making four tables for that house. And that includes the big giant one. I'm making a breakfast table, which is 52 inches square. And then I'm making two big boomerang shaped desks for him made out of Sapelli wood. And so I have so many videos, like by the time I'm done with all these, like that are all like backed up in the system, I'll have like eight full on videos of like cool different things. And, uh, and then of course, JD is here right now and we're building the barn doors for the big new shop. And I've been talking to JD about kind of conceptualizing them. And I, and I, I said, is this idea valid? And he says, sure, let's figure we'll figure it out. And so he flew down on Sunday. We immediately went to work all day Sunday. All day yesterday. Is today Monday or Tuesday? What is today? It's Wednesday. 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 <laughs> yeah. So he leaves tonight at like four o'clock. So we he got up early and finished up one side. Well, finished some of the welds. There's still a lot more to do on both sides. And then before we got started, I was out there with him getting the second two doors raked up. So each door is 12 feet tall, six feet wide, three inch by three inch steel angle iron. And I'm going to pop old barn wood into it. And hopefully we'll be able to get that at least done for camera by the end of the day. Uh, there'll still be a lot more follow-up to do once I'm done, at least with the video, because I have to make latches, hold, pulls, hasps, and door stops, and that little doodad that locks into the ground, and then overlaps. So I got a lot more to do after he leaves. But we want to at least get like the majority of the heavy stuff up and in. And then later on, I'll have to insulate the back of the doors. And But... It's uh, it's been a learning experience. Every process JD is teaching me. So, like, I think I know what I'm doing, but I just pretend like I know nothing. And then he shows me something, and then I learn something. So, we're doing stick welding off of the generator. We're doing uh, the new MIG 260, which they sent, which is great. We're doing a dual dual shielded. JD's famous for doing a, a dual shielded. It's a flux core wire with a gas shield, so it's called dual shield, and it makes for a much hotter, more penetrating weld, and it's like vaporizes the the weld. So when you do it, there's no splatter. It makes like a crazy sound, like a UFO landing. And when you're done, you have this incredible weld. And uh, so he's teaching me that process and just using my own welder that I've used for so long, just giving me tips on how to maximize its potential. So it's been great. It's been a great couple of days. And as soon as we're done, I'm going to run back out there and hopefully he's not underneath the, uh, the door laid on the ground. <laughs> so he's working by himself right now. Man, you make me feel lazy. <laughs> Good grief. That's a lot of stuff, man. Oh, my God. You know, uh, well, just to get, because I didn't finish the hinge pins, I, I had to still, I had to drill four things. And each thing takes about 30 minutes to drill because it's solid steel. It takes a long time to like let the drill do its thing. So I drilled four of those last night. Well, JD came in, I made him take a rest. He wasn't resting. I said, dude, you got to rest, go in and lay down. So he went in at, at about seven o'clock and I made the wooden doors, the inserts last night. After I was done with that, I went in the garage, I made the pins because I had to do that because this morning we were going to weld them in. And then after that, he came out, he, he, he came up and he says, I want to see what you're doing. So then he and I hung out from like midnight to like 1.30 in the morning. We went over to my shop and I painted lacquer on the steel base for the big giant long table, which uh, my assistant Brandon blackened. Brandon is Taylor's assistant and he's becoming an expert at blackening because Taylor taught him how to do it. And he's like kind of taking it, it's becoming his expertise, which is really cool. So Brandon blackened the big giant steel table, which is made out of one by one cold rolled steel. And so he did that while we were working, it takes a couple hours. So he did that. So last night I had to get a coat of lacquer on it because today it's going to be humid. So I couldn't go to sleep. I would have woke up this morning and the table would have been bright orange because it's like completely naked 
no oil on it or anything steel and so yeah and then i came back and i did my bills and went to sleep at 2 30 and woke up at eight so okay we (laughs) we i'm just gonna jump right into a topic since you just said that yeah um a couple weeks ago i asked people for questions and we got a bunch of good ones and one of them I, i did a screenshot of from voss works and he has several questions listed here, but one of the things, the last one here is glorifying, this is a question about, not an accusation, I'm pretty sure, glorifying mm-hmm. workaholism and lack of sleep. And then you put Jimmy in, in quotation, right. quotation marks. So I think the question was about, like, because we all are self-employed and we do have to work a lot, is that glorifying workaholism and, like, going, uh, it, you know, in an unhealthy way? Thoughts? So, I I just want to say, I read a lot of business books, and a lot of the ones that really resonate with me and and are good, they talk about um, you have to take time for yourself, and you have to be healthy, because if you are not healthy, there's no way your business can be healthy, too. And so, sleep is a part of that. Um, I So, maybe I work a lot, but... I'm not working, it's not like an intense 14 hour, 16 hour day where I am like just flying off the handle and, 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 and being, and being crazy. It's more of a calm. This is what I enjoy doing. Um, I spend time with Kelly. She comes home from work. We, we have dinner, we watch one of our shows. And then when she goes back to bed, I sit at the computer or, or, go out into the shop and so for me uh, i get i get the i get plenty of sleep uh, i also work a lot because i really really enjoy it uh, some people mm-hmm. have to work a lot because they have no other choice but you really do have to take in your your personal health and you have to be there for your family as well i think that's 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 really important and um, otherwise all that work is for nothing yeah. Well, you know, I look at it like this. I, I'll set myself like, well, obviously I'm working against the hard, hard out and that's JD leaving. So there's certain things that we both need to do together. So putting the doors up, I could do a couple of the other doodads. So I'm like, let's just do the important stuff that I need you for. And so those are some of the things we're hard, fast working against, uh, working against the rain, how to make sure that that was painted. But on a typical day, I might have like six things that I want to do. And those things take a certain amount of time. But then it's the in-between stuff. So those are hard numbers for me. It's that in-between stuff like chatting with my neighbor, going to get a cup of coffee, stopping everybody to go get lunch. Oh, we got to go pick this thing up. So I got to take a ride to Albany. It's an hour ride. It's those things that stretch my day out. It's Mm -hmm. like the things that are solid, hard things. If I had nobody to talk to and nobody to interact with and food was just brought to me, (laughs) I'd be able to probably go to sleep at like nine o'clock every night. Yeah, But it's like those little things in between everybody, like having to just do stuff with people. And, you know, I'm not saying it sounds like I'm like upset about that, but it's those things that stretch stuff out. A surprise visit from a fan. Uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I should be a little bit more strict of like, you know, hey, I only got 10 minutes. They'll hang out for an hour. I'll make them stop moving stuff with me and clean it up. And it's those things that kind of take my day a little bit. Long. And then sometimes I'll have a day and I'll be like, 
say to tell him like, it's, do you want to go to dinner at six o'clock? We'll go drive to Hudson. And that's, you know, like a four hour thing because it's far away and we go and we sit and have dinner. So those happen probably about once a week. We can do that on the average. And typically for me, Sunday is a day for me to kind of chill and tinker. And it's just traditionally, it's mostly because no one's bugging me because everybody else takes Sunday off. And so I'll be like, all right, the phone's not ringing. The email's not going crazy. And I don't get any emails from my agent to correct something that I did wrong. Or, <laughs> and so Sunday is a day, but this Sunday JD showed up. So this Sunday was another work day, but he didn't come until the afternoon. So I had the morning to just be stupid and goof off. I, but, yeah. I, I, there, there's one other point is, um, and I think all three of us, none of us are telling other people to, to work hard. And yeah, that's it's a total personal preference. Yeah, it's, it's, it's totally a personal fine. preference, and I it's a there's a direct correlation between the harder I work, the more reward I get, and that's that's satisfying. And so I see, um, I, I I see what working hard does, and that actually motivates me to to do more. Um, but I am never telling anybody else to work all day every day, you know. and doing what I do is calling it work is. Um, it doesn't feel like it's the right word for me. Yeah, I, I mean, I think, like, I totally get where this question came from. But at the same time, I think workaholism in our case is the wrong word. And I think that word has some kind of misnomer to it anyway. Like, so that word came from, you know, somebody, it's a connection of alcoholism and somebody who likes to work a lot or, or feels compelled to work a lot. And so, like, alcoholism is a serious addiction problem. And it's it's something that, you know, like, your body is pushing you towards doing more of at the detriment of everything else, right? And so, mm-hmm. the further you go down that path, the further, the more damage is done to everything else, you know, through relationships, through health, through all these different things. And so, like, to jam those two things together... I'm sure that is possible that someone could feel so compelled to work that they're willing to throw away everything else. Like, I, I guess that's possible, but I don't think that applies here to any of us personally. But I also think that that's like, there's a difference between loving what you do and wanting to do more of it every chance that you can around life. There's a difference between that and feeling like I have to work and I can't do anything else. And if I don't, you know, if I do anything else, then it's at the detriment of my work. That seems like a problem, but I don't think that's what we, any of us, no. feel, right? No. And then the other thing, too, is, is uh, people say, oh, lack of sleep. I sleep exactly what I need. I'll sleep. Like, for instance, I was supposed to meet JD out at the barn at 6 a.m. My phone died while I was sleeping, so the alarm didn't go off. I woke up at 7.30. And that's what my body said. My eyes all popped open. I'm like, seven, I'm like oh, it's 6 o'clock. I look, I'm like, oh, 7.30. So I ran out there and got started. But the point I'm making is this. If I get super tired, I don't sit at the lathe. I don't sit at the steering wheel. I pull over, take a nap, mm-hmm. or I go inside, lay down with Taylor for a few minutes because it's important to just take, even if you sleep for five minutes in between stuff, you get back up and you go back to work. And then I'll get like a good solid four or five hours, you know, through the middle of the night. But there are times when I'll just get to a point where I just need to go take a nap. Mm-hmm. So I'm not, I'm not like operating a lathe with one eye open. <laughs> so that never happens. <laughs> the, uh, yeah. the science Thanks. of sleep is still somewhat of a mystery. Um, but what I think uh, what a lot of scientists and doctors believe is the amount of sleep you need is different per person. 
some one person yeah. might need eight, another person might need six and ten and, and so on. You know, um, another thing I, I, I wanted to bring up is um, Casey Neistat has some sort of tattoo. It says work harder or do do more, do more. Do more. Yeah. And um, I'm not so sure that that's a message message for other people. That's probably a message for him to remind him to yeah. do more, you know. Yeah. And so, um, yeah. And, you know, no, nobody's nobody's telling anybody else to to work more. Well, I think some people do, and unfortunately, I, don't, I agree with you on Casey. But I think some of the, like, the culture around like side hustle, like you see things that are like hustle, you know, and telling you like if you want to start a business, you gotta like, whatever. And and if you look at startup culture, like in the tech world, startup culture is bad and dangerous and unhealthy because it it says. I have a goal, this business I want to, or this app or this thing I want to create, and I'm going to pour everything into it. And I'm going to not sleep, and I'm going to, like, live in my bed with my computer, and that's what I'm going to do all the work and everything. And, like, I get that in a certain situation for a certain type of person for a certain phase of life. But that doesn't work. Like, it doesn't work as you get older. It's not healthy for you. It doesn't work as you get a relationship, as you get a family, things like that. So... I'm not saying that's bad, like, hands down, but it's not sustainable. And so it usually only works with younger people who are single or people who have a family that can adjust to that type of lifestyle. Because it is a very, like, it will suck the life out of you to live that life. And I've seen a lot of people, I know some people who, you know, live in Silicon Valley and that's all they do. And they have no relationships and they have no hobbies and they have no anything because all they do is work all the time for the sake of getting this idea out into the world. The problem with startup culture is that a lot of those ideas never actually make it out into the world and they've sacrificed a huge Hmm. part of their life, a time of their life and relationships and all this for something that never actually ends up happening. That's a whole different thing, I think. And it's a real thing. But what I was getting to was a lot of the books and the business books and the kind of culture around like entrepreneurship, not all of it, but some of them do kind of push like, you've got to be working harder all the time thing. <laughs> I like and the maybe voiceover. <laughs> <laughs> and maybe that's kind of true, but like, yeah, you're right. That's not something you should push other people to do. If you want to work 100%, 100% of the time, do it because you're motivated by a thing that you care about and that you want to do more of, not because you me, feel like that's JD the only just, way it's going to happen. You know? JD and I were discussing the same thing. It's like people say, oh, you work too hard. I'm doing what I'm enjoying doing. Yeah. When you see somebody skiing and you know, doing all kinds of like, oh, you're doing that too hard. But they're enjoying themselves. Yeah, they stop like having do. so much fun. <laughs> yeah. You don't say that. That's what I'm saying is you don't say that to someone that's doing that. But it's yeah. we do what we love because we like doing it. And... We like seeing results and you get you're like, oh my God, look at, I just figured out, uh, uh, I'll just, I'll be in, in an hour. And you're like, oh, look what I'm yeah. doing. I just learned how to do this. And like yeah. in relation to like the, the vacation thing I said earlier, you know, we've talked about this before. Like I have trouble with vacations because I just feel like I'm sitting somewhere and it, it sounds like from just a, if you heard the sentence without the context, Bob can't not work. He wants to work instead of be on the beach. But the fact is, like, exactly what you just said. Some people love to ski, and that's their fun, and they want to go ski because that's how they relax, and that's what they enjoy. They don't want to sit at a desk because they hate that, because that's not what they enjoy. I'm the opposite. Sitting on the beach, being still, 
is torture for me because <laughs> it's just not a thing that I enjoy. That's like that's like a desk job to me. Being yeah. in the shop, making videos, do, this is the stuff that I love doing. So it's not that I want to like, I got to get back to the grind. It's like, I miss my hobby. I miss this thing I get to do all the time. And the reason I'm doing it for a living is because I enjoy it so much. I don't want to get back to it. So anyway, the whole question about workaholism, it is a an issue, I think, for a lot of people. But I think, one, I agree with you, David. I don't think any of us are trying to promote bad habits to people that they need to work too much and sleep too little. I don't think any of us are trying to get that across to people, but I think we all are doing what we do because we love it and we want to do more of it and we want to be good at it and we want it to grow. Right. And also our livelihoods depend on it. It's not like we have a job that we can slack off half the time and still get And when you think, you know, this, this, yeah, if, if, if I put 80 hours in this week, I'm going to make X. If I put, 100 hours in this week, I'll make X plus. Or if I put 125 hours in this week, I'll do X plus plus. And I'll get that money faster to pay off these other things quicker. And then next week, I'll have a little bit more of a relaxing week. So there are times where you think, if I jam hard, I'm just going to jam until Thursday. And then the next three days after that, it's not going to be that hard. And you know, usually I'm working against a deadline. Or like, for instance, I'm making this table kitchen island thing. I don't know if I showed too much of it, but that's because somebody needed it July 1st. For some reason, they absolutely had to have it July 1st. It's basically done. The client needs to come and approve it. I'm going to have to tweak it some more. But I worked hard to make sure that I fulfilled her requirement. It's No one's going to drop dead if I don't get that deadline because it's just a table that's going to get picked up and put in someone's kitchen. But because she asked for it at that date, at least the finish, I wanted to have it done. So I say yes. And then all of a sudden, I'm like, oh, I only have three days to finish this. So I jam on it and then I can relax. But I never Instagram me just sitting around doing nothing. <laughs> that would be a fantastic Instagram channel, though. That's great. <laughs> the rest arrests. So, people keep seeing me doing this, doing that, doing that. They don't show the in-between time. I don't show the in-between time. Well, it's yeah, I mean, it's not interesting. Why would you do that, you know? Exactly. But, yeah. Anyway. All right. We got anything else on this idea? No. There's a few more here. Um, if you want to, if you want to quit work at eight o'clock and call it half a day, that's your prerogative. Yeah, I mean, I I think if you want to run your own joke. business, <laughs> yeah, what a lazy person stops at work at eight o'clock at night. <laughs> um, no, I think if you want to own your own business, if you want to do that, there is a certain amount of like, um, I don't want to say required extra time but it's almost natural to like if you work for somebody yeah it's you're you're responsible for it all so like either you want to do well and then that you have to take that responsibility seriously or you don't really care about doing well and you're willing to let that responsibility lax and not put in you know enough work to make it move at a pace that you otherwise would want that's a weird sentence but yeah well to that in many cases, if you run your own business, that means there are very few people in that business. And so you are wearing many hats and probably a lot of hats that you shouldn't be wearing. So it does take a lot of extra work. That's a good point. That's a good point. All right. Well, um, all right. He's got a couple other questions here. No, I like this one. This is because this is a probably do a whole show on this. But what are the pros and cons of a beginning maker making videos? 
instead of just focusing on making. I see this a lot. I think we're all seeing this a lot because uh, YouTube has become a, a pretty big thing. There's a huge audience. And when you see somebody doing something that you like, you often want to do it yourself. Great. Awesome. This is not a negative comment on that, by the way. I'm just stating state of things. So I think there's a whole lot of people who decide they see people making videos about making things and they're like, sweet, I want to do that too. So I have to learn how to make videos and I have to learn how to make things. And then they jump into both of those things at the same time. Um, and that's a lot to take on. That's a lot of learning to happen on two things concurrently. And then if you want to be a generalist, then that makes it even harder because like from video to video, you're learning, you're continuing to learning the video part of it, but you're also learning a new skill over here and then a new skill over there and every time. I think that, I don't know, I'll reserve my opinion. What do you guys think about this? Uh, I, I think there's opportunities to learn. For instance, uh, one thing I tell everybody, and I do it all the time, and me and JD did it this week. If you have repetitive things to do, if you're going to make five things, Make four of them off camera so you get good at it and then turn the camera on. And while you're making those four, start thinking about, oh, how am I going to do this? Or if you're making a table and you make four legs, make two legs off camera and then show two on camera. So you always go to school on the first couple is something I obviously always say, but you're literally going to school and you're thinking, if I'm going to edit this, how's it going to look? How's it going to look? How am I going to do this? How am I going to do that? Somebody asked me the other day, I'm just starting YouTube and I end up with so much footage. I don't know why I end up with hours of footage. I said, there's no reason to film everything. You really only want to film when there's major changes in the material. That's my opinion. If you're going to take a piece of wood, you can't just all of a sudden have a piece of wood. And then in the next scene, it's in two pieces. you got to show how it became two pieces, even if that's literally a fraction of a second of a saw going zoop. Because then that information is now transferred. It's now two pieces. But what you don't need to show is, laying it on the table, setting up the sawhorses, because that's all implied. That's, so you got to really ask yourself, what is implied here? So you could stick to the idea of just making the thing. You got to ask yourself, is it important for me to show me grabbing the clamps? Maybe it is because maybe the video is too short and you need a couple of extra beats. And I honestly make that decision from time to time. I'm like this video is only going to be three minutes long. Let me put a bunch of beats in it a rhythm, create a rhythm, and that's opening a drawer, grabbing a tool, slamming the drawer, getting a clamp. So I use those when I need to. Those things get lost completely when the video ends up being 18 minutes long. But it's important to film only what's going to make the project move forward and not necessarily slow it down. And I always say, if you're watching your own video and you're bored, the audience is going to be even more bored. So if you're watching your own video and you're like, oh man, this is moving along nicely. I really like the pace of this. Then then you're in a better better part. You just got to be honest with yourself. But yeah. That's the biggest mistake it seems like most beginner YouTubers make is that they, they focus too much on filming every single thing they're doing. And they're not doing everything very quickly because they're new to everything. So it's taken forever and then you end up with a full chip and you don't know what to do with all that footage. Turn the camera on and off between what's important because then your clips are broken up into edit points. That's important. Some guys just let the camera roll. I'm like, how are you going to, you're going to look at 25 minutes of you doing stuff. You're going to have to sift through all that. I make sure as soon as I'm done with the task, I turn the camera off so that the next time I turn it on, it's at the new task. That So it just makes editing a lot easier. So. Yeah. And your clips are pretty much sequential. I mean, it depends right? on the project, but you know, that, that helps a lot. I mean, in, in what we do, it's, a lot of times you can take things right off the card and the timeline is already built. 
for the project exactly. right? because you shot That's, it in sequence. Most of my stuff is that. I just drag it. I drag the, I select all, drop it in 400% speed, go back in, stretch out what I need to, compress when I need to, clip the beginning of this clip, get rid of the end of that clip. And a lot of my edits are done quickly. So uh, as far as that, the timeline thing, that in, in most cases, I think that is, the, you know, you shoot sequentially. Uh, what I find myself doing a lot is while one thing is drying, uh, gluing, I can move on to something else. And yep. that's when I will put things out of sequence. So in my timeline, after that thing, I don't show me working on the other thing. I show the continuation of that piece to simplify that for the viewer. So even, you know, just so it makes sense, like, hey, it's gluing, it's glued up, now he's doing, now he's taking the clamps off and he's, he's making the cut and then he moves on to the other piece. But in reality, that's not how I worked on, on that. Um, you have to, I think the really important thing is if you're learning how to make something and you're also learning how to make videos, I think you need to ask yourself, why are you making this video? So I've recently, yeah. I have um, questions that I ask myself. This is new to me. Um, uh, why am I making this video? So what problem will this video solve for the viewer? And what, uh, or what is the result that will help uh, a viewer in, in some sort of way? Another question I ask, I have a list here. I'm looking at my, my Evernote. What makes this video unique? Um, uh, and then we talk about internal problems and external problems. And if there's going to be a montage, where is that going to be? So I think it's important. Like you can't just film something because you're making something. You, it has, there has to be a reason. It's either entertainment or you're teaching or, or you're, you're showing a struggle. So... Well, I think the other side of that, I agree with those things, but I think the other side of it is sometimes if you're, if this is something you really want to do, making the video for the sake of making the video can be a good learning experience. So, uh, sorry if anybody makes cutting board videos a lot, but there are a lot of cutting board videos, right? So if you're getting started and the first thing you want to do is make a cutting board video, just realize that unless you have something really unique, your video is not going to stand out. There's a bunch of them, but the point could also be taking something that has been done a whole bunch of times and doing it for the sake of learning how to make a video. And then mm -hmm. you have a huge range of things that you can compare it to. Like how does everybody else make a cutting board video? What do they highlight? What do they ignore? What do they show repeated? You know, what do they do show one time? So I think if, if the craft of video making is something that you actually want to pursue, there can be value in making videos as practice. Even if they're public, I don't mean practice like you keep them hidden, but sometimes getting started, just the um, the process of making the video can be a learning practice for you. But I agree with you. Like when I try to make videos for, and like I'm, I'm past that point of trying to figure out like how to make a video. So now I'm figuring out why am I making it? And that's, that's kind of a different thing. Now I think another thing that kind of, it goes along with that. This is going to sound negative and I don't mean it to. But just because other people are making videos doesn't mean you have to make videos. YouTube is big and it feels like it's the thing that everybody, if you have a craft, something that you like to build, it feels like you have to make videos of it because everybody else does. I don't think that's the truth. I think that works for some people. And if it's a thing you enjoy and a way that you can share what you want to the certain group of people, go for it, do it. I'm not trying to dissuade anybody from doing it, but don't do it just because it's the thing that everybody else does. Because it's a lot of work. 
And it can actually take away from the enjoyment you have of making. <laughs> if you enjoy making cutting boards, you'll probably enjoy making it more, not <laughs> making a video. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good that, point. You, Just you bring that up out. a yeah. yeah. You bring up a, well a couple points is, is avoid the surveillance videos. Don't do a surveillance video. Yeah. Get to look at somebody's. Take a close look at other people's videos that you enjoy. You need an intimate shot. That's what I always tell. I always tell Brett when I said, let's get that intimate shot. We do a wide, a tight, a medium, and then an intimate shot. So you can see exactly what's going on. What you're looking at and what the camera's looking at when you just do that GoPro surveillance shot are two different things. And then you make a video and it's just you running around the shop like a squirrel. You, what you need is the details of what you're doing. So you want that peripheral view of exactly what your eyes see. Put the camera right there sometimes. That's one important thing that a lot of people don't realize in the beginning. And then... Um, I had a much more interesting point. Okay, I remember it. <laughs> a lot of the hangouts, when we get together and we do hangouts, I've, ha I've spoken to a couple guys, they feel insecure because they're just fans and they don't make things. And they want they don't make videos. They're like, oh, I don't feel like I should. Like, they feel like if we're hanging out in a circle at a hotel and they're not a video maker, they're insecure to hang out in the circle of us because yeah. they don't feel like they, they pass muster. And that's not true at all. And I know it's not going to hit the, you know, the five or six guys I've talked to in life about it, but we don't care whether you make videos or not at all. It's not like we pass judgment on anybody like, oh, he's a YouTuber. He's cool. Let him come closer. It's not like that at all. We all share in the love of creating things and making things and that's it. And mm -hmm. that's, that is it. And, you know, even if you don't make things, it doesn't matter if you just enjoy what we do. So, I mean, that's a little off of this topic, but the idea is some people feel like they need to make a video so that they can commiserate with us yeah. when we yeah. all hang out at a group. Like it's a and validation it's, and it's, it's not. Yeah. Yeah. And then, I mean, I know I've talked to a few guys and they're like, oh, so I just can't get past this first video. It's so frustrating. Like if you don't enjoy doing it, like you said, Bob, just enjoy making things. It doesn't matter. You don't have to be part of our, it's not an initiation to be part of this community. I think one thing that Instagram has done for our community has given people who are not crazy about making the videos, given them a way to show off what they do. Totally. Even in like, even if it is video on Instagram, it's less, I don't know. There's stressful. like- Stressful. It's more spontaneous. Yeah, it's less stressful. Exactly. Yeah. And I think that's good. So if you are in that position where you make things and you want to be able to share it, but you don't want to put in the effort to film and edit and post and tag and all of that garbage that YouTube has to have to make it successful- Use Instagram. And that's what people, some people are running their entire businesses or their hobbies through Instagram. And that's yep. their only channel to put it out there. And they're doing great. So don't feel like to validate your maker skills, you have to be making YouTube videos because that is not the truth. And I think it puts an undue amount of pressure on a lot of people. Yeah. 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 Um, one, one thing like Jimmy's, Jimmy's yeah. given some pointers on, on shooting and um, I think something else that could help somebody new quite a bit is not looking for, if you're making a cutting board, maybe don't look at other cutting board videos or you can, but maybe pull influence for, from something completely outside that. Go watch a PBS show where they're, uh, it's a food cooking show or go watch a, uh, a cable show where they're rebuilding an old car and see how they edit that. They don't show everything. They let the viewer fill things in because the viewers are smart and they understand, 
that that something happened between these two cuts. So try to pull influence from something else, and that is actually going to help you come up with a unique way of of sharing your your story and possibly standing out. That's a good call. Cool. Um, you guys got anything else on this? Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, what have you been watching? Or do you need mm. me to do the Patreon? I'll do the Patreon thing while you figure it out. <laughs> um, big thanks to our Patreon supporters. Uh, everybody over there that helps out the show. It means a lot. We've had some new supporters lately, which is really awesome. Uh, I want to say thank you to all of them, and especially Wise Old Dow, Evan and Caitlin, Corey Ward, Works by Solo, Michael Schubert, Chad from Mancrafting, Nick Ryan, Caleb Harris from You Can Make This Too, and Make Build Modify. So if you want to help out the show, we would really appreciate it. Go to patreon.com slash making it. And you get the after show if you support us over there at any level. And that's another 15, 20 minutes of us talking about secret stuff. Today, David's going to vent about something I haven't forgotten. So I'm going to hold you to that. Yeah, so that's it. Um, also, if you don't want to do Patreon, but you do want to support us, just sharing the show leaving a review on iTunes. I know everybody says that on podcasts, but apparently it actually makes a difference. It really does like show that people are interacting with the podcast and it moves it up in the little listing and more people see it. So it does matter. Um, so, you know, five-star reviews. I don't know. It doesn't matter. Tell us, be honest. Tell us what you think of it. But, you know, just like sharing the show with people that you know, that you think might enjoy it. Um, that means a lot because it just gets it out in the ears of people who might find it useful. Yes. That's my spiel. What you got, David? Uh, the Zen Diaries of Gary Shandling. Uh, it's an HBO movie. I My favorite documentaries are documentaries about comedians. Um, there's something about comedians that I'm attracted to because they see the world in a different way. Uh, many successful ones are crazy intelligent. And sometimes too intelligent for their own good. And so this is a two-part documentary on on Gary Shandling. And um, he, he, when he was around, he wrote everything down. He wrote all the ideas. He wrote all his feelings down. And um, which I'm a big fan of writing things down. I think that helps. Um, and just to see this successful person do the same thing was great. And the documentary is how he influenced all these other comedians and any pretty much like any comedy movie or show in the last 20 years has somehow been inspired or influenced by Gary Shanling. And it's, it's really, really good. Even if you're not a fan, or if you don't know who he is, go watch the documentary. It's you'll feel good after watching it. Another good, another good feel good aspect to Gary Shanling's career is that, he was uh, inspired by George Carlin and actually got to be friendly with George Carlin before he was famous. And George Carlin gave him some career guidance. So the, there's a there's a great segment in there. He, when Gary Shandling was basically nobody, he wrote George Carlin a letter um, uh, and, and said, like, here's some here's some ideas that I'm that I'm working on. And George Carlin, like, said, hey, uh, come by tomorrow and let's talk about it you got some good ideas here like just wow. a stranger out of the blue and then it set off gary's writing career and and his uh, stand-up comedy and then eventually acting so it's crazy how things work out hmm yeah 
Uh, I'm going to talk a little bit about a, a really interesting channel I found. It just popped up for me out of nowhere one day. And then last night I saw Motherboard did a full documentary on him, about 15, 14 minutes. You guys watch Rich Rebuilds? No. no. Computer nerd and auto mechanic. He rebuilds Teslas. Watch any of this? No. Oh, he literally have, buys wrecked Teslas and makes new Teslas out of the wrecked Teslas. Heard of this? Maybe you told yeah. me about this already. I might have told you because I've been following a little bit. I, his videos are a little in depth, so I, I kind of watch them in like little clippets. But it's amazing to me. Clippets? <laughs> that's a good word. No, that's fantastic. <laughs> yeah, stick with clippets. Yeah. I like clip-lets. that. <laughs> clippets and clippets. Those two fun words. <laughs> anyway, he'll he'll buy like a wrecked Tesla. And it was funny, if you watch the Motherboard documentary, he talks, you can see like the, the hoarder gene is like in full force. He's like, man, I, I had to buy this car because the, the whole back of the car is in perfect condition. What if somebody needs the back of this car? They got to they gotta go buy a whole new Tesla, but I have the whole uh-huh. back half of the car here. And then he's holding a visor that's been charred in a fire. Every, every Tesla's like in fire or been hit by another car. He's like, this is a great visor. I mean, if what if somebody just needed this one clip here? Or what if somebody just needed the spring on this mirror? You can tell he's got the disease. So and <laughs> this is a he's great got like find. four storage units. He's got like ten or fifteen Teslas in pieces. But wow, he bought. He said, and it started. He bought his first Tesla in a flood. He kept back nothing worked. So he bought a wrecked Tesla that was dry and started swapping the parts till he got it to work. Oh, but the, wow. the funniest thing about it, he's not covered in grease. He's not dirty. He wears like regular like office clothes. So you're like, when does he like? And I guess Teslas aren't greasy and dirty. They're no. all computers, so they're not like, I guess, you know, the wheel hubs and some of the mechanical parts are, but it's not like a dirty car. And so all his shop is clean and it's like he's got computer parts. He's like, oh, this is the screen. I got extra heating things and this. So check it out. It's just interesting to know, like, here is like a, a piece of technology that basically came from space. And now here is like one of the first people, at least in public, that's dismantling it, getting to know it. Because you can't take a Tesla to a regular mechanic. You got to bring it back to Tesla. Yeah. And they have all kinds of laws that you're not allowed to dismantle the computer systems and the battery systems. And he lives, I think, in Vermont where the laws are you can. You know how like John Deere, for instance, they have all this new computer technology that you can only have done by John Deere. And now all the farmers are, it's another motherboard story, by the way. All the farmers are able to hack into their own things now. Mm-hmm. They have to do it illegally. Because if you hack into a computer system on your John Deere to check your GPS positioning or some something having to do with the thing, you vi- you void your, your warranty or something. So you- Yeah, yeah. yeah. Anyway, so there's a whole subculture of guys that are hacking in and doing all this. I forget what that technology is called. Like when the- company you buy it from has more rights to the object than you and you own it yeah that's a that's a big that's a whole big conversation like there's been people trying to get laws passed that you know you own something when you buy it versus when you have access to the code and there's you know yeah that's like a whole big thing anyway so there's a lot of that aspect to his channel with uh with the tesla so it's cool let's check it out just because tesla's like i said it's like such a brand new thing from outer space and here he is dissecting it it's like and he's, he's, he's like, oh, yeah, I rebuilt it. It's like a perfect test. He's like, yeah, I rebuilt it. Ooh. And he's like Sweet. taking apart things with like wire harnesses. There's like thousands of wires. Anyway. <laughs> just intimidates awesome. me. So it's fun to watch. Um, so mine is, and I can't remember who sent me this this week. And I'm sorry for whoever sent it. I know they're screaming. I feel like it might have been Stu Morrison, but I'm not sure. Um, it's this channel called Brick Bros Productions. And they do like stop motion Lego things. 
But this one's called Lego in Real Life 3, and I feel like there should be a better name for it because it's a stop-motion woodworking video with Legos. So instead of wood, he uses a 2x4 made of Lego. Oh, cool. And he cuts it down, and then he like does some planing, and he does all these different, like, hand-sawing it and stuff. But it's really, really good. And he, he gets a lot of the little detail that, you know, you would expect of shavings and of different things. And it's all done with not the entire thing's not Lego, but like the wood itself. And some of the tools are Lego. It's really, really cool. You should definitely watch it. Um, yeah, so that one is. And then the other ones are on the channel are like stop motion type of stuff. But for maker people, I think you'd get a kick out of this one. It's good. It's a good video and uh, um, Lego cool. in real life three. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think that's about it. Unless you guys got anything else, we'll head to the after show. After show. After show. All right, after cool. Show. Well, that's glad it. to be back. Thanks for listening, everybody, and Love uh, you. we'll see you next week. Later. Bye.